This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. To entertain you, we'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two step, a new step, it won't be long. When the Dixieland's are playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. And welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and this week we are diving into the life of Zelda Fitzgerald. Who is that, you may ask? <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. Gelsey. Yes. Who is Zelda? And why is it so hard for us to talk about her? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, for listeners, we normally, Matt and I have set a day to record and we'll be like, hey, tomorrow at 12 and we're like groovy or it'd be like the next day and it's fine. We've been trying to record Zelda for like two weeks and for some reason our schedule is just like could not line up. So I was like, ooh, Zelda's cursed. But um, Zelda, I know a lot of you are thinking like the legend of Zelda, Princess Zelda, because that's, I feel like the only version of that name that we know now is pop culture Fun fact, that character was named after, today we're talking about Zelda Fitzgerald. The creator of that game named his warrior really? princess character after Zelda Fitzgerald because he was inspired by her. So that's Ooh. fun. So Zelda Fitzgerald, um, aside from one of the list of people I think I might be reincarnated from, she <laughs> was, <laughs> I'm like kind of convinced, but she's a little crazy. Um, she was married to Scott F. Fitzgerald. She okay. is um, the wife of Scott F. Fitzgerald. For those of you who don't know, he was um, is you know a famous American literary author, and he gave us such classics as *The Great Gatsby*, *This Side of Paradise*, and *The Beautiful and Damaged*. So those are some big ones. I know everyone's heard of *The Great Gatsby*. If you haven't, <laughs> jump off a cliff. Um, 
So Zelda was, <laughs> I'm just going there today. Zelda was, you know, a huge inspiration and muse to Scott. She is considered, at least from Scott's words, but is now even from social studies of American uh, culture, um, considered the first flapper. So they were oh. huge socialites in the jazz age, in the golden I'm age. I'm going to look up a picture of her just so I can get an idea because I love the flapper look. Yeah, she's got her little, you know, short flap of hair. And, um, but I, I can start giving you some facts. So Zelda is from Montgomery, Alabama. She was born July 24th, 1900. And she was born Zelda Sayer. She's the youngest of six. And um, her mother actually named her after characters from two different stories. One was Jane Howard's Zelda, A Tale of the Massachusetts Colony. And the other was Robert Edward Franciliano's Zelda's Fortune from 1874. So she was kind of, I think when people have namesakes from characters, I, I do believe somehow energetically or spiritually those namesakes carry out into what kind of person they're going to be, in my opinion. Okay. So I thought that was kind of cool that she was named after, you know, two different fictional characters. Her mother um, spoiled her and like doted upon Zelda. And her father, Anthony Dickinson Sayer, was a very strict and remote kind of a man. He was um, a justice of the Supreme Court of Alabama. And he was one of Alabama's leading jurists. So he is your typical straight-laced politician in the deep south early 1900s she's from a predominant southern family she has a lot of her great uncle served six terms in the u.s senate her paternal grandfather edited the newspaper of montgomery her maternal grandfather served partial terms in the u.s senate in kentucky so you know very kind of high class and generally women of the south of this time are supposed to be very respectful lace good girls you know hosting making other people happy. This was not Zelda. She okay. was a wild <laughs> child. She was extremely active um, and was big in ballet lessons as a kid, which so was I. Um, and in 1914, attended the Sydney Laner High School. These are all facts you guys wanted to know, right? <laughs> you, you wanted to know the name of the high school she went to. She was very uninterested in her lessons as a school in high school. She was heavily focused on her social life. That was the most important thing. She drank, she smoked, she spent most of the time with the boys. Um, she was the leader in the local youth social scene. You know, if, what, if there was what gossip. What time period are we looking at? Right 1914 now, like, is when she. Attended. Okay, so this is not. So yeah. this is pre-prohibition. I'm trying to think of like culturally what movies were coming out at that time. Like, was this stuff that was actually being shown yet? And it doesn't sound no, no, no. like it. Yeah, films. There's like film doesn't exist yet. So we're basically talking about when you watch even a silent film where there's a flapper character. There is at least a 50%, if not higher, chance that that character is inspired in some part by Zelda. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because she's still a kid at this, or, you know, high school teenager. She's not recreating things that she's seen. This Correct. is purely her. Yeah. It's purely her. She's like, these things don't exist. And the, the kind of media, like you said, films and like that wasn't really out, you know, it's radio shows and books. And that's kind of where maybe she got her inspiration from. The girl still had long hair and long lace button up. And, and she kind of liked to push that a little bit. There was a newspaper article about her dancing when she was younger and they quoted her and she said she only cares about boys and swimming. 
And then, <laughs> I was like, I love I mean, this again, so I'm feeling like it is describing Kelsey Laurie so I far. know. I, I just hope, like, it doesn't end the same. We'll get there, folks. Um, but she, <laughs> she developed an appetite for attention and actively was seeking to flout um, – convention and and pushing the reins to get that kind of attention. She would swim in this really nude, tight swimsuit. Cause you know, I think this is back in the day when like bathing suits were more fabric than some dresses I wear today. And yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, the swimming costume, but she would, she would supposedly swim in this nude flesh colored, really tight swimsuit to create rumors of her skinny dipping. So she's like knowing how to like pull the strings of, of the newspapers pushed, as well. Right. Yeah. And it, these weren't necessarily like in the news but it was the hot gossip of the town. You know, this is a tiny southern town. There's not much going on. But she kind of knew that her father's social status protected her ruin. So it's she kind of knew she can get away with anything and, and she'll be safe. It sounds a little bit like a 1910s, like Nicole Richie or Paris Hilton almost. Like yes, socialite well, who knows that they're covered by their dad. They're not going to totally. get in a lot of trouble and like knowing how to get people talking. Absolutely. And at this point, it was more just a smaller version of that because it was only in Montgomery that this was going on, the small like southern Alabama Alabama town. But later, um, which I'll get into once she marries Scott, they become really the celebrities of the time. And it, it is kind of becomes that idea, but not so much protected. Um, she was friends. Her, one of her childhood friends that would always be kind of in the hot gossip with her and they were always being talked about was Tallulah Bankhead, who went on to be a huge Hollywood star. So okay. that was something I learned. I was like, oh. So in comes Scott. Scott meets Zelda July 1918. He's stationed at Camp Sherida. So there's a lot of military in that area because there's close military banks. And he's stationed in Camp Sherida. And he would call daily and spend his free days in Montgomery. And he would always, you know, he was doting on Zelda, met her, was like fascinated by her. And talked a lot about him being famous and would share his work in progress with her and was very vulnerable about, you know, he wanted to be a writer and he was constantly in dreaming instead of dreaming, just like I'm, I'm going to be successful one day. How did, so do we know how they specifically first met or is that not really covered? So Zelda and Scott met at the country club dance. There was a big dance at night. He saw her dancing and they fell in love or he was Aww. very, yeah. <laughs> I think it was more that, and they quote a lot of what they're, romance was i think it was a lot of lust and passion versus that actual love you know they were young he redrafted his character rosalind connage in this side of paradise to resemble zelda which this side of paradise was his first novel that he will become successful with in there there's quotes of all criticism of rosalind ends in her beauty which he wrote about zelda and wrote in the book and he told zelda that the heroine does resemble you in more ways than four which was, Aww. yeah, it's cute. It's like, oh, there was some plagiarism going on between the couple though. And this was a huge, ends up becoming a lot of resentment later in this side of paradise. Um, the soliloquy of the protagonist is taken directly from a letter that Zelda wrote him. And so he would like plagiarize her writing. And then later the beautiful and the damned, the character Gloria Patch, the subjects of, of the statements that, that character makes appears in Zelda's letters as well. And later he steals her diary and is going to try to like publish it. And it's crazy. So later in life, she, that kind of builds up to that. He does steal from her. And so it's more of 
she was a huge muse for him, but also kind of like directly took from Zelda a lot. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and it was in 1918, he took her diary and shared it with two friends and they were planning to publish it under the diary of a popular girl was what they were going to do. So that's a little, I read that and I was like, that is so fucked up. Like if someone took my diary, which I'm an active diary keeper, I will say. Really? I am. I've been that way since I was a kid. I've, I've written down everything. I don't know where my childhood diaries are. I'm hoping somewhere in the attic, but I have all my diaries starting, I want to say my middle school. I definitely have freshman year. So I have all high school through my 20s documented. That's crazy. Anyways. Oh yeah. And back to, sorry, I meant to mention this earlier. They're meeting at the country club dance. That's actually Scott based Jay Gatsby and Daisy's meeting on their original meeting. He did place it at a train station in the great Gatsby, but it's kind of the great Gatsby really resembles a lot of their relationship and themes and (laughs) um, Zelda inspired Daisy. Like Daisy is almost completely inspired by Zelda. I feel like Throughout this entire story, I'm going to keep flipping back and forth between thinking that they are a very cute love story and thinking that they're a super toxic relationship. Totally. Okay. There's actually, (laughs) I was going to say this at the end, but there was an Amazon original series and it got canceled. There's only one season. I highly recommend it. And it's called, uh, I think it's Zelda with a Z or Z the Great. I I can't remember the exact title, but um, Christina Ricci plays Zelda. Oh, well, I mean. (laughs) And I know you love her. I know. (laughs) I was like, she does such, such a good job. And it, where it ends in the story, you know that there's more to be told. And unfortunately, I don't know if it was like a pandemic thing or it just didn't get re-picked up. But it's really good and it goes through their meetings through a lot of this. Um, so it's I highly recommend it. But a lot of men, Zelda was a wild child, but very desirable as well. So a lot of men were courting her and that drove Scott to want her more. And he actually kept a ledger during this time of like everything that happened. And so on 1918, September 7th, he noted that he had fallen in love, which I was like, oh, that's cute. And Zelda, of course, fell in love with him as well. In October, Scott was assigned to Camp Mills in Long Island, but he did return by December and they were inseparable. And Scott described their behavior as sexual recklessness. So it's almost like he even knew that, you know, especially for that time that should be courting and this, that, and, it, and to already be like, this is sexual recklessness. I was like, it, it started with fire. In February 14th, 1919, he was discharged and he went to New York in March 2020. I wrote 2020. Can we stop right now? <laughs> 1920. Oh my gosh, you guys. And then they time traveled. Um, <laughs> we are in them right now. Um, he sent Zelda his mother's ring and they got engaged. So he was in New York. He went in February and the next, oh no, the next year he, he sent the ring and, and they become engaged. So that's a cute, fancy way to do it. Don't even get down on yeah. one knee. Just mail a ring. I like it. Good for him. Yeah, nice and easy. But Zelda's friends and family were very weary, um, weary, excuse me. Scott had excessive drinking problems and Zelda was a episcopalian. How do you say that? I have never heard that word in my life. Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Like religious. (laughs) I don't know. It's, and, and Scott was a Catholic. So just religiously, they were not from the same mold and the family. Which I think mattered a lot more. Totally. Well, and this is 1920. Like a lot of things mattered that don't matter today. Scott finishes, he writes and finishes this side of paradise and he gets published and he returns to Montgomery with the good news. I'm getting published. And Zelda had agreed to marry him once he got published. 
because she's like, I'm not going to fall for this struggling writer act. Um, so Scott <laughs> promises, Which is both you know, charming and terrible simultaneously. It is, yeah. To me. <laughs> he he promised to bring her to New York and does so. Zelda Zelda goes to New York in 1920, March of 1920, and they're married April 3rd in St. Patrick's Cathedral, like kind of on a side area, very small wedding, and very quickly they become New York celebrities. They the success of his book because again, you know, this is like pre film and stuff, so a novel is huge to come out. Yeah. We still have that today, but you know, it's a much bigger deal of that time. But so they have the success of the book, and then they start just having this wild behavior. I mean, it was all parties for them. They would be drunk. They got ordered to leave the Biltmore Hotel and the Commodore Hotel because of being too drunk. Zelda once jumped into a fountain in Union Square fully clothed. In the New York newspapers, they became icons of youth and success of the jazz age. And that actually also led to the increase of bitter fights. So their fame is growing, their outrageous behavior is growing, and their relationship is starting to get rocky because you cannot just party and have a solid foundation one and so many things, but, um, so Zelda gets pregnant. I want to say it's around this time. She's already cut her hair bobbed, you know, so she's starting to get that dresses are going higher. Hair's going higher. It's, you know, the jazz age is amongst us in October 26th, 1921. She gives birth to Francis Scotty Fitzgerald. They called her Scotty. Um, but Zelda never became very domesticated, which is not surprising. Like they lived in hotels for a long time and, um, but by 1922, they had a nurse, a housekeeper, a laundress, like she didn't do anything. And there was a publishing house, Harper and Bros asked her to contribute to a book they were publishing called Recipes of Famous Women. Cause she, you know, has, and she writes in, see if there's any bacon. And if there is, ask the cook, which pan to fry it in, then ask if there are any eggs. And if so, try to persuade the cook to poach two of them. It is better not to attempt toast as it burns very easily. Also, in the case of bacon, do not turn the fire on too high or you will have to get out of the house for a week. Serve preferably on china plates, though gold or wood will do fine if handy. That's what she wrote in for her domesticated. And I was like, I love this woman. So, so relatable. Like, Ask if there's <laughs> eggs and see if the cook will make them. <laughs> yeah. She knows what she's doing, right? Like she knows that mm-hmm. she's playing up this part of like the ditzy floozy type idea, but it's like clearly she is very smart and she knows that she's yeah. pushing buttons and she, she knows, knows that what she's, she's doing to a yeah. degree. Yeah, I think she did. And I think it also just becomes too, which I think a lot of celebrities today still do it, but it is kind of the shock factor. Like it's, she's just pushed against the grain for so long and that's how she got her attention and praise. Even if it was in a bad light, it still kept her name up. And so I think she just kept playing into that role of the wild child and and doing things her way and yeah no for sure and she actually even started writing um around this time and she would do she wrote a review of scott's work in a magazine um (laughs) and and then she wrote a couple shorts and essays that got published um in 1922 she wrote an essay um the eulogy of the flapper in metropolitan magazine and it kind of reflects on like the life of a flapper so um, let me ask you a question about this real quick. Mm-hmm. At the time that they were using the word flapper, right? Mm-hmm. Was that looked at as like a like a almost like a derogatory term towards them, or was that a term that they owned more so? They were calling themselves flappers. I think it was okay, it was like so they were owning into, it. They're owning <laughs> it. It was almost like let's relate it to like the punk rock scene and. 
there might be a group of people that are more conservative being like, oh, those punk rock kids, that's so punk. Oh, stay away from them. But the punkers themselves are like, yeah, we're punk. Like, Yeah, we're absolutely punk. Got we it. are okay. going against Perfect. the grain. We're rebels. And so I think a lot of the flappers gave in, you know, and on a side, I, it would be actually a really interesting episode to kind of dive in. I want to do more like jazz age kind of, it's, it's a really fun time period and a lot going on there. But it's people also that, you know, prohibition's hitting, the people going to the speakeasies know they're doing something illegal. The girls that are dancing at these clubs know they're a part of this world, which was heavily ran by gangsters. And, you know, it's they they know what they're in for, which that's not necessarily what Zelda was in that side of, you know, Chicago gangster kind of scene. That's That wasn't her. But it still was this champagne is free flowing, cutting our hair, showing more of our leg. And we're proud of it because. Yeah. Woohoo. No, yeah. totally. That yeah. totally makes sense. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So they start to get into debt at this point, which is not surprising because they're living this ridiculous life. And Scott gets burnt out and depressed. So in April, 1924, they go to Paris and then they relocate to the French Riviera where Scott starts writing the great Gatsby. Zelda, throughout their relationship, Zelda has a really hard time with how much isolation and alone time she has. Although there are a lot of these parties and going on and blah, blah, blah. Scott's in a room writing so much and she's used to being the life of the party and kind of having her own identity. And, you know, she danced a lot when she was younger and she kind of would go in and out of these spouts of like, I'm living for my husband and I don't have my thing and I'm bored and I'm just, and that was really hard for her. So when they were in the French Riviera, um, Zelda becomes infatuated with a French pilot and spends all her time with him. Him, His name was Edouard S. Yozan, I think. I don't know. J-O-Z-A-N. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And after six weeks of this romance with him, she asks Scott for a divorce. Scott locks Zelda in the house until she abandons the divorce request. And her lover leaves the French Riviera and never saw Zelda again. So that's a very mature way to handle it, Scott. That's, He's like, that's definitely what I was expecting to hear. Okay, so this is where we're yeah. getting to, like I this said, is where, I, I yeah, go through the waves of like, oh, they're cute. <laughs> oh, they're toxic. Got yeah, it. and that's... If you watch the series um, with Christina Ricci, it you get that very much. You get like in the beginning, you're like they're so passionate, and it's they do a really good job showing the kind of turmoil ups and downs of their relationship, which I really liked. But so he's writing The Great Gatsby, and The Great Gatsby reflects the dramatized key aspects of his and Zelda's love, their courtship, the break, the financial success, Zelda's infidelity, like that 
all those themes come out in Great Gatsby in, in all those ways. Scott wrote, I feel too old this summer. The whole burden of this novel, the loss of those illusions that give such color to the world that you don't care whether things are true or false as long as they partake of the magical glory. So he's kind of in this, that's his mentality when he's writing The Great Gatsby. The Fitzgeralds, though they're going through all this, they still kept up a quote unquote happy appearance. Friends didn't necessarily know that things were going bad. They kept up parties. They seemed fine. I think some of their closer friends started seeing the, I don't even like know. The cracks in it. The almost. cracks, the reckless behavior, the, just that they're kind of losing it and it's, you know, but um, September, so not too far after, you know, they moved in April of 24, September of 24, Zelda overdoses on sleeping pills. They never really confirmed if it was a suicide attempt. Accidental. She, she didn't die, but, um, and the couple never discussed the issue. It was kind of like, they just put it under the rug and moved on. But, um, that's, you know, it's starting to get a little concern up and, uh, Scott continued writing the great Gatsby. And then, uh, he finishes in October and they, Traveled to Rome and Capri to celebrate. So that's where Zelda um, starts painting. She kind of finds this outlet. She's painting, which is great. Which later in life, she she does paint some stuff. And I've looked up her work and I really kind of quite like it. But um, they fretted over. So when they're in Italy, they they had some working titles for The Great Gatsby, which I love these. Um, so here's what some of the working titles for it was the Tremalcio and West Egg, Gold Halted Gatsby, or The High Bouncing Lover. It was Zelda who preferred The Great Gatsby. She's like, that's the title. But all these, I'm like, could you imagine? The High Bouncing Lover. The classic novel. Those are good names. (laughs) Tremalcio and West Egg. (laughs) April 1925th, they go to Paris and they meet Ernest Hemingway. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway become very good friends. There does become this kind of competition later in their life because... Scott's success starts declining. His work doesn't get as much recognition and Ernest Hemingway's career, you know, really does well and takes off. But Zelda and Ernest Hemingway did not like each other. She described Hemingway as bogus and she would say that fairy with hair on his chest and called him phony as a rubber check. So she didn't like that. And Hemingway told (laughs) Scott that Zelda is crazy which he kind of was right because we're about to go there. But yeah, they did not like each other. It didn't help too that when they would hang out with Ernest Hemingway and his wife, Scott would constantly be like, Zelda, tell them about your affair you just had in the French Riviera and would make her re-bring it up, which, you know, is obviously a very Oof, disgruntled. Scott is not, He's not over so it. Like, great in this story That's either. not so nice. And that obviously <laughs> like she did have this like love affair and was being very neglected by her husband. And that ended because he locked her in the house and now this is very painful. And so it's like, that's kind of where it's all going. Um, their sex life starts to decline drastically. And Zelda told Scott that their sex life was declining because he was a fairy. So she would accuse him of homo- um, having a homosexual affair with Hemingway. And then Scott proved his heterosexuality by having sex with a prostitute. So that was his comeback. Um, Zelda found out she found some condoms that he had. Um, and it came up and it started a huge fight. And that began, began a huge lasting jealousy that she held on to. Zelda once threw herself down a flight of marble stairs at a party because Scott was talking up another girl and ignoring her. So she's like, watch this. this so we're, is, we're getting to that level. This is really bad story. I know. Isn't it? That's why I was like, it gets like, they kind of remind me of like couple, like maybe not to that point, but we all know couples that are like that today. I feel like oh, I was reading yeah, this no, and I was like, this is so intense, but it's like the couple that you're like, it's like the only dynamic they know is fighting. It's crazy. Have you, You've seen Midnight in Paris, right? 
Yes. Yeah, yes. and that's they have the fit. Scott and Zelda are two of the characters that he meets, and that totally I think makes they. Sense. Yeah, and they have this real, and Ernest Hemingway is there, and they kind of, they did a good job depicting that kind of tension of all of them, and and they they chose to have the Fitzgeralds in their more loving, fun, party, wild phase instead of this phase, which I think was the point. The movie's supposed to be very romantic, but I do, I do love seeing both of them kind of depicted in different fictions and movies. So that's another fun one. If you haven't seen Midnight in Paris, the Fitzgeralds do make an appearance there. So anyway, Zelda comes back to, you know, she was pretty miserable. She's getting increasingly erratic. He's becoming severely alcoholic um, and neither had made any progress in their creative endeavors. Like, you know, he wrote Gatsby, did well, but that it's just after that, it was like nothing. She has nothing. So she decided to rekindle her love of ballet. She was 27 at this point. Um, she became obsessed with ballet. She would just work hours on end. Um, she did it as a kid and she would, you know, go up to eight hours a day practicing, which ended up leading oh, to physical and mental exhaustion. Scott was completely dismissive of her desire to become a professional dancer or the work she was putting in just completely. He's kind of getting into like a bit of an asshole town. She actually was invited in September of 1929. She was invited to join the ballet school of San Carlo opera ballet company in Naples. And as close as this would ever be to the success she wanted, she did turn it down. Cause she was like, that's great. She still kind of was caught up in her life, even though she wasn't happy. And they're still kind of putting on this party party scene and going out. Now we get to 1930, Zelda was admitted to a hospital in France where she was treated and consulted by Europe's leading psychiatrists. And she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So she is considered to have bipolar disease and manic depression. Now people that look back at it, you know, it wasn't, everything was still so new then. So she was in and out of hospitals for years. She goes to Paris. She goes to a hospital in Switzerland, um, later in Geneva. And she's released in 1931 to return to Montgomery because her father was dying. Amidst all this, they're in back in Montgomery in Alabama. Scott announces that he's going to go to Hollywood. So Zelda's father dies when Scott's gone. And she be, she goes back to a clinic because she doesn't do very well. So this is 1932. She checks back in to a hospital. Scott's off in Hollywood. So she is now in Baltimore at the John Hopkins, Hopkins Hospital. Um, and she gets this huge burst of creativity. She writes an entire novel called Save Me the Waltz, sends it to Scott's pr- publisher, doesn't actually do that well. And Scott reads the book. He's furious because... Her book was kind of a semi-autobiographical account of the Fitzgerald's marriage. And Scott was planning on using that kind of material for his next book, Tender is the Night, which he'd been working on. So he's like, you can't use that stuff. That's my stuff to use. So Scott forced Zelda to revise the novel, removing parts that contain material he wanted to use, which that's Dick move, Scott. Continuing, Scott does yeah, not come Scott. off very clean in um, this. <laughs> no, I know. So they do agree to publish her book. The parallels, I mean, she basically writes about this girl, Alabama Beggs, who, like Zelda, is the daughter of a Southern judge, marries an aspiring painter who abruptly becomes famous for his work. They live in Connecticut, and then they go to France. She's dissatisfied with her marriage. Alabama throws herself into ballet. She joins a company, becomes ill from exhaustion, and goes back to the South where her father's dying. So that's what the book's about. That basically was kind of Zelda's life. The book did not do very well. Um, it only sold 13, 
hundred copies, um, and she only earned $120 for it. So the failure of the novel Save Me the Waltz and Scott's criticism on her, calling it plagiarism, he called her a third-rate writer, just crushed her spirits, and it kind of really was the demise. She started painting um, in the mid-1930s. She spent really the rest of her life in hospitals and mental distress, and she painted a lot. And some of her early photos really kind of show where she's at and kind of the remains of the jazz age. If if you want to Google um, when this comes out, I will post some of those paintings on the Facebook group. They, there's a couple of them I, I actually really like, but people seem to not think they were that great. Scott is just still in Hollywood. He kind of writes to his friends like, oh, Zelda's crazy. He says, she now claims to be in direct contact with Christ, William the Conqueror, Mary Stewart, Apollo, and all of the stock paraphernalia of insane asylum jokes. For what she has really suffered, there is not a sober night that I do not pay a stark tribute of an hour to in the darkness. In an odd way, perhaps incredible to you, she was always my child. I was her great reality, often not only liaison agent who could make the world tangible to her. So that's how Scott feels. Scott ends up having an affair in Hollywood with columnist Sheila Graham. Um, I believe there was a movie or play written about that. But their daughter, Scotty, um, is thrown out of boarding school and he blames Zelda. So he starts blaming everything on Zelda. She was accepted to Vassar College. piece of shit. I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah, he, he even started quoting that it was Zelda who ruined him that she was the one who exhausted him of his talents and that he had been cheated of his dream by Zelda. And Zelda feels the same way about Scott. She feels like she never got to fully reach her full potential creatively and all these things because she was overshadowed by him and kind of kept down by Scott. So yeah, there was kind of a crazy. So after Scott has a huge fight with Graham, who he's having an affair with, and he returns to Asheville, which now it's in North Carolina, um, where Zelda is at a hospital. And the group at Zelda's hospital had planned to go to Cuba, a big trip, but Zelda missed it. So the Fitzgeralds decide to go together. They're like, let's go to Cuba and take this trip. It was awful. Scott got beaten up on the street for trying to stop a cockfight. Um, they returned to the US like so intoxicated and exhausted that he was hospitalized and the Fitzgeralds never saw each other again. So that was kind of oh. their last. 1938, they go to Cuba. It's a disaster. They return back. She returns back to Asheville to the hospital. Scott returns to Hollywood and to his affair with Graham. And she starts to make progress in the hospital and they see a lot of progress. And in 1940, Um, after four years, she's released. She was nearing 40 now. You know, it's like the money's gone. Her friends are gone. It, Scott had a hard time because his successes were going down and his failures were really coming out and Hemingway was making all the success. That was really hard for him. Scott dies at the age of 44 in, uh, December, 1940. And Zelda did not go to his funeral. It was in Rockville, Maryland. I'm not exactly sure what the cause of his death was to be honest i forget i didn't look it up but we don't care about scott he dies um i'm (laughs) gonna say he drank himself to death if i you know he's getting depressed in this that she works on another novel she misses scott's funeral she misses her daughter's wedding and she returns back to the hospital in Asheville, and that was 1943 She's working on her novel. She was checking in and out of the hospital. She didn't get better. She didn't finish the novel. And on the night of March 10th, 1948, a fire broke out in the hospital kitchen. Zelda was locked in a room awaiting electroshock therapy. The fire moved through the dumbwaiter shaft, spreading onto every floor. The fire escapes were wooden, 
So that caught on fire as well, which who the fuck makes a fire escape what out of wood? You that's a, idiots! That's a bad choice right there. So nine women died in that hospital, including Zelda. So she was Ugh. trapped in a hospital fire. Very, very tragic. She was later identified by her dental records. And also someone was able to identify her because of her slippers. Yeah. So their daughter later writes about both of their deaths. This is Scotty. And she says, I think short of documentary evidence of the contrary, that if people are not crazy, they get themselves out of crazy situations. So I have never been able to buy the notion that it was my father's drinking, which led her to the sanitarium, nor do I think she led him to the drinking. So that was what their daughter said. They are now buried together, which is kind of an ironic thing. Yeah, so that's Zelda. A fun fact, um, the song Witchy Woman that the Eagles sang is based on Zelda. Oh. Yeah, isn't that's kind of fun. So um, who wrote? Don, Don Henley and Bernie Leiden of the Eagles. Um, Henley had been reading Zelda's biography during that time and – he was, you know, she was the wild, bewitching, mesmerizing, quintessential flapper. And that inspired him to write Witchy Woman. Huh. Yeah, which I never knew that. And I was like, that's fun. So that's Zelda Fitzgerald. I think she is obviously, <laughs> we're ending on a very sad, tragic, dark note. She has a very tragic ending. I, I think she just wasn't in the right environment to have a healthy safe space for expression. She was obviously very eccentric. She, you know, was a wild child, a rebel. She liked to have a good shock value in this, that, but I, I think she needed more love and notoriety from her husband and didn't get that. And so I think they just both fell into this crazy toxic relationship and that's what it comes. And it's interesting knowing their story and I haven't read his other novels, but I have read the great Gatsby and I would assume most people did because it was a high school you know, requirement or you've seen the great movie that they just remade with our lovely Leo. Hey, Leo. Um, (laughs) You can see a lot of the theme mirror reflections of everything that I just said that happened in their life and their dynamic and the the fame and the tragedy and the angst and the, you know, that is what The Great Gatsby is. And kind of also this illusion. That's another, you know, the Fitzgeralds had this illusion of who they were. And so, yeah, that's why I kind of, Great Gatsby is a great one, but it's really interesting to know what was going on in his life. And she is the real Daisy and the original flapper. And I still might be reincarnated. I don't know. There's a part of Zelda in me. For sure. Thank you for uh, such a downer. <laughs> my sister, my sister Giselle, um, they live a couple hours from Asheville and I was reading and I was like, oh my God. Oh, so, cause they like just went there not too long ago and we're like, oh my God, Asheville's so cool. And I was like, dude, I was like, Asheville. She's like, what? I was like, Zelda Fitzgerald died in Asheville. All like happy. Cause I can relate. And she just texts back who <laughs> I was like, damn it. Uh... She's always like, you're weird, but yeah. New York. 1922, the tempo of the city had changed sharply. The buildings were higher, the parties were bigger, the morals were looser and the liquor was cheaper. The restlessness approached hysteria. Shall we? Who is this Gatsby? Do you know him? War, Mr. Gatsby doesn't exist. So, Gelsey, when I was 
when you pitched me the idea of Zelda Fitzgerald, for some reason I was like, she has to be related to a Fitzgerald. And I just, whenever you pitch me a topic, unless it's like a movie that I need to watch, I'm like, I'm going to do very little research because I want to be learning along with the audience. I just assumed that she was somehow related to Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Was my you know what? What a strong name, Fitzgerald. Like, my, dr- I want to be a, f- can I just change my last name to Fitzgerald? Like, you can I, legally do that. I'd be like, Gelsey yeah. Fitzgerald. Like, that I want, sounds, I even thought about, like, if I ever had a son, hell. I'd want to name him Fitzgerald. Ooh. Like, what a strong, fun name. And then I'll come Fitz for short. Fitz is a great nickname. Fitz is I, a great name. I love that. Now I wish my last name was Fitzgerald so people would call me Matt Fitz. Mrs. Fitz? Yes. Like, done. So, yeah. Changing my name to Fitzgerald. So would you say, because we've talked about flappers on here before, mm-hmm. I would say that flappers definitely rank among, if I was thinking of like my top three favorite like fashion statements in like the mm-hmm. history of the world. I think flappers are in there. Is that your number one you think, or is there something that surpasses it? That's a ridiculous question to ask me, Matt, because I like, they don't rank. It depends what mood I'm in. Like sometimes I like to go for the flapper look. I had a like straight black Bob years ago with kind of a very Velma Kelly Chicago hairstyle. So I'm all for that. Um, I do like the flapper look, but I love the pinup look. I'm a pinup girl at heart. You do love (laughs) pinups. I love pinups. So, and I like the mod look too, like coming out of, you know, the early to mid sixties mod fashion, um, kind of that twiggy look. Like I love that. I really did that more in high school. I was a, a mod kind of a girl, but if the audience has a particular favorite fashion era, where is the place that they can let us know about it? Yes, please let us know on Instagram. You can find us at before my time underscore podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search before my time. We will show up. Let us know what your favorite fashion trend of what decade tops your fancy. Um, show us pictures. Look at our pictures. And you know what? Actually, while you're here, give us a five-star review because that's a groovy thing to do. Um, We really appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in every week and listening and hope you stick around for more. idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.